Hi, and welcome to Serious About Sustainability, the podcast series brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric's Ikadan, air source heat pump. I'm Russell Dean from Ikadan, and you're listening to a series of podcasts all about renewable home heating. We'll be covering a range of topics from the perspective of UK homeowners, self-builders, contractors, house builders, and housing associations. Our show today is called Zero Carbon Home. My guests are George Clark, the Ikadan Ambassador, and Oliver Novakovic, the Technical and Innovation Director at Barrett Development PLC. Welcome to you both, and it's great to have you on the podcast today. What I wanted to start off really was a was over to you, Oliver. Really, if you could talk, tell us more about your your background and, and where you've come from on the construction industry. Yeah, sure, no problem at all. So, um, uh, originally, I started my career uh, developing self build all the way back at uh, in Cornwall and, and developed the first uh, off-site construction MMC system. Um, and from there, worked my way to BRE, um, where I helped innovation within outside of the construction center with people like Marks and Spencers and Audi, which was interesting. And then in the last seven years, I've been with Barrett, driving sort of innovation and the zero carbon agenda. Mm, excellent, interesting background. And um, at your your latest big project at Barrett's was the zero carbon home. That's what you you put a lot of energy into. The Z house, yeah, as we yeah. like to call it, something some original marketing there, just getting rid of the ERO. So it's <laughs> like uh, so, it keeps yeah. it short and sweet, yeah, doesn't short it? Short and sweet. So yeah, that's 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 the latest. But you'll probably be aware. I mean, we back in what well, nearly 10, 12 years ago, Barrett did uh, their first sort of concept house mm-hmm. uh, at the BRE. Yeah. That's how. The introduction between myself and Barrett occurred. Um, so this is just another step because actually government have come back to the zero carbon agenda finally. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it was important to kick the tires and test it. And just step back to the BR a bit. I mean, I've, I've been to BRE a lot because, you know, with the kind of innovation park setup that you've got. I mean, it's pretty incredible, isn't it, as a, as a place for testing and pushing innovation particularly with green products and green technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, when I first started the BRE, that that was the big challenge. I I really wanted to bring the supply chain together, architects and everybody, consultants and supply chain, and challenge it. Um, And so we came up with the Innovation Park. And as you know yourself, we had uh, the greenhouse was Barrett, but we've had over... I say we've had, they've had now. <laughs> you were uh, there before, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So they've had, what, 16 houses. And you know Prince Charles built a house out of um, using hay and stuff like that, all the way through to modern construction, all driven by carbon embodied, um, looking at the health within the home. So in a way, for me, the Z House is just a continuation and that, and there'll be many more because we've got to keep challenging the sector, haven't we? So tell us about Z House. So the Z House was very much um, sat back at Barrett looking at all the challenges coming over the hill. So, of course, the natural one we think about is operational energy and the zero carbon. But actually, very quickly behind is embodied carbon, Mm -hmm. water reduction, waste reduction, nature around the house. You know, so all of these challenges are coming to house building and they're coming very quickly. So for me, it, it was about like the car manufacturers do concept cars. And they say, well, what are the ingredients we've got to make the best cake? But we want to throw all of them in this big cake. That's what we did at the Z House. We said, right, let's get the supply chain and challenge them, guys like Mitsubishi and others. 
let's get into this house and let's set the challenge. So I've got some, there's some great stories around the Z house. And I mean, obviously we can't physically see it. I wish we were there having a look around it now, but just paint a picture of, of what it's like in terms of design yeah, sure. and innovation. Yeah. I think the most important thing for, for me was that the, the Z house looked normal. Mm. So it's, the Z house is actually called an Aldeney. It's one of the houses we build many thousands of. We have 400 sites, so we're selling a lot of these. So we know customers like the house. The second most important thing was that you could be green in this house without having to try, without a change to your lifestyle. So a lot of, if you were to walk up to the Z house, you wouldn't know that it was a zero carbon home. And if you walked around it, except for an air source heat pump on the outside, which wouldn't be normal in today's house, and some of the innovative heating systems like infrared and, and skirting boards that deliver heating, you, you wouldn't know. You'd just live a normal life, but actually you'd be saving oh, 70% of the energy that you'd usually use. That's quite a lot, isn't it? So skirting boards deliver heat energy. Yeah. So, so you'll know with the air source heat pumps, the temperature of the water reduces down to 40, 45 degrees, so you need a lot more surface area. The problem in the houses is... Surface areas delivered by radiators mean they could be quite big, and what what gets where radiators get in the way of furniture and other things. So, um, Salford University actually introduced us to this innovation where the hot water goes into the skirting board. So all of your skirting boards are the radiators. So you've got no other radiators in the house. So in the Z house, I have right, because okay. I'm testing. But actually, in some of the other houses we're now trialling, we won't have radiators. We'll either have skirting board heating or underfloor heating. So multifunctional skirting board. Yeah. Love that. And what's great about it is that you can also put electric down it. So as you know, as we move further along the zero carbon agenda, we're going to really concentrate on fabric. So, so the skirting board's a bit like it's like ductwork for running services. Yeah. So as you know, in offices, we've regularly ran electrics, haven't we, down yeah, the service yeah. here. We're running hot water skirting board. These houses are built in a more innovative way, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. So, so one of the challenges we set ourselves is: could we build a house without a bricklayer, without a scaffolder, without a tiler? Not that that's the way it's going to go, but how far could you go? Mm -hmm. And with the Z house, we didn't use a tiler or a bricklayer, and for part of the house, we didn't need a scaffolder. And so, if you didn't use a bricklayer, what's the outside of the house? Brick, but it's made in the it's brick that's manufactured in a factory and brought. Fully to the site. Prefabricated. Yep, yeah. prefabricated brickwork that came in in sort of six to eight meter lengths by about two to two and a half meters high. So, why have Barrett's decided to do this now? Well, I, I think, as I said to you, you know, that, that if you look at what all the regulations that are coming, and more importantly, it's not just about regulation. I think what's great, I mean, from my days at the BRE, I felt, and I'm sure you're the same. George, we used to be pulling everyone along. Come on, come and come and be zero carbon, be carbon conscious. And you know, people are like, oh, it's a strain. Now I feel like I'm getting dragged along because you know you've got the city looking at you reducing carbon. You've got um, at Barrett's we've set science-based targets. Most corporates are now setting their carbon reduction because they have to and they want to. We've got mortgage lenders start, starting to talk about green mortgages because they want their portfolios to be lower. So, so that's from a carbon point of view. From a water point of view, we have scarcity in certain locations. We've got to be more careful about how we use water. Embodied carbon, we're resources, we're running out of materials. We better use them more efficiently. 
And I know the old adage, you know, we've got to look at it for our kids, but it, I sort of, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Let's be yeah. honest. I mean, that, that kind of, we don't have the resources we had 50 years ago. I mean, just um, the nature bit, I, I didn't know this, but 40% of UK species have died out since the 70s. 40%. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So we're about, uh, in the garden with RSPB, we've put homes for the animals. Bat like boxes. what? Well, bat boxes, yeah, go on. Bat boxes, yeah. swift boxes, hedgehog homes. We've got a green wall for insects so that they can pollinate and create that, that you know, and we've got water ponds and different sort of situations so they can it's feed amazing. themselves. Yeah, well, that, and then uh, that's probably the newest bit to me is that nature bit. You know, if I'm, I'm quite a techie, as you know, I'm an engineer. So that was the bit I thought, oh, and it was the 40%. I thought, blimey, you know, that, that, that's, that's a lot. And what's the link with EcoDan? So uh, we've had quite a long discussions over the years with EcoDan. I mean, we, I think one, I mean, it's Mitsubishi. They've got a good brand and a good name. But actually what we were really excited about is that they're manufacturing the UK up in Scotland, which is great. Um, and we just found that they really understood the technology and they understood most importantly our customers and maintenance and how, you know, on and probably gave us the right technical support. So we said, right, if we're going to do the first house, let's do it with them. And now you've sorry, Russ. I'm just piling on over this interview. Right, I think I think just <laughs> just just to add on to that, I think without without uh, what we have is experience. You know, we've been doing it 13, 14 years now, and it's it's not just about the heat pump. It's not just about the box. I think where you're going with that is about the support around there because it is a transition for house builders. It's a transition for installers and homeowners. And also what happens after the box is installed and it's commissioned. And I think we've had such a long time now in this market that we thought all those steps through to the point where we service and maintain the systems and look after them as well. So I think you can't just make, and as an engineer, you want to make the best box in the world. You can't just make that best box without having the other stuff around it. Yeah, so, no, definitely. Yeah. There's a couple of things, I mean, uh, you know, for me about the air source heat pump. So one, when we did them before, people thought they were noisy. Mm -hmm. um, thought about maintenance. It's been 10, 12 years mm. since those days. So now if you come to the Z house, you can't hear that air source heat pump. You talk about maintenance, it, it's done from outside. It's, it's, it's done uh, automatically from external. Yeah, it's remotely. It's remotely maintained. Yeah. And I think something like 70% of most queries can be dealt with remotely. I think the other thing people don't understand is... Actually, the, the air source heat pump, there's two important components. The air source heat pump, which everyone looks at and thinks fantastic energy um, and engineering, but actually it's the cylinder as well. They're just as important, aren't they, mm. together? Yeah. And uh, that's part of what Mitsubishi have, you know, been helping work with us because, you know, we're going to, we deliver 18 plus thousand homes, right? At some point, I'm going to have to put in possibly 14 to 16,000 air source heat pumps. So we've got to really robustly know what we're doing. And, you know, Mitsubishi are, you know, part of the partnership that we're looking at to do that. And obviously when you innovate on a concept house, that's brilliant. It's great R&D. You're testing, testing, testing. How much of an impact and how quickly do you think it'll have an impact on the rest of what Barrett's do? Yeah. So if you look at, I suppose, in... in, in Three key points. So, so there's some technology we already use today. So there's something called wastewater heat recovery. It uses the shower, hot water, and recycles it back in. So that, that technology we use today. 
the PVs, uh, that's the new regulation comes out on the 15th of June. Mm -hmm. As of that new regulation, we're going to have to use PVs and inverters. So that technology, as of the 15th of this year, yep. we're going to have to consider. So photovoltaics yeah, for photovoltaics, electric. Solar, yep. solar, yeah, solar hot water as well, and yep. but solar panels. Solar mainly. panels, solar yeah. thermal. Yeah. And then after that, you start looking at air source heat pumps. So whilst they might regulatory kick in in 2025 because we're getting rid of gas, so we're going to electric, the reality of it is we've already got local authorities and some key projects where we're looking at air source heat pumps. So we've got a project down in Bristol, Nunny. We've got 82 air source heat pumps. And I, I don't know, I mean, maybe you can help me with this, but uh, Russell, I think it's one of the bigger projects that's been done in the United Kingdom mm -hmm. at 82. Would that be correct? Or for, for low rides, I should say, not for apartments. I'd say it's different for different markets. If we were talking about retro and social housing, where we've got some social housing clients that are putting 1,500 heat pumps. So on, on that kind of scale, and they were all installing 10 a week. So, um, and that's a slightly more difficult on the retro side. New builds, you're probably right, for 82 houses. Um, I, I haven't heard of many. So, and it's important we do it. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it's like when someone said to me, oh, that's one of the bigger projects, I was thinking, well, then we need to do more yeah, because we need lots of experience in this. So this is the first of a few that we'll start doing. The main driver really for heat pumps going into new build is off, off gas to grid developments. Yeah. And that was the best kind of commercial decision that was made there. So yeah, 82 is a good size project. Which well, to start. Yeah. You know, like I said, we're heading towards 16,000. So <laughs> we better start somewhere. We better get ready. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and with modern methods of construction, I'm just thinking about the difference that makes to everything, really. I suppose how quickly you build a house, minimal site works. Yep. It's probably quite an inspiring way of building a house as well to young people coming into the industry. Oh, definitely. You know, um, so we did a, we did, we've just done uh, um, a major project with about 600 school kids um, up near Sheffield. And it's interesting, uh, what we, we actually did a game around sustainability and building a house and running around a site. And, and you, you're dead right. What they really got into was robots that build houses, which is what we, we're going to end up with in factories, digital design, you know, and the engineering to deliver zero carbon. That's how we're going to bring these guys and get their interest. So that, that it was great. And they were, it was all from a science background. So these were, uh, I think, 14 to 16-year-olds all doing sort of science. So I think that, that the MMC and that aspect is definitely going to interest them. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, my granddad was from a traditional form of building, if you like, quite conventional. And when I was growing up, it was like get a job as a bricklayer or a plasterer or electrician you know, a plumber. And actually, I think the conversation is starting to change quite a lot when you're looking at something being designed for manufacture rather than designed for construction. As soon as you think about manufacture and you, you kind of, you think in a different way, you're thinking about a different product. Um, I kind of used to joke and say, you know, if you're going to build a car from scratch, you wouldn't build it outdoors in a field and start rendering the outside and plastering the inside of a car. It's a kind of clean, dry tech bit of engineering and and that's actually the excitement where that house building's gone where we're trying to get rid of a lot of wet trades um and actually do skills transfer a little bit where 
We don't want to be in a position where people are all losing their jobs because the plasterers and their bricklayers, because there's still a role for that. We've still got like 25 million existing houses that need plasterers and bricklayers and plumbers and electricians. But I think by being slightly more clean tech and having factory built homes, um, it's quite inspiring, I think, for young people to want to be in that industry. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a, there has been a bit of an image reputation oh, about definitely. construction over the years, definitely, where it's a kind of dirty, messy building site and male-dominated. And I think that's starting to change, actually, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's really good points. I think, um, yeah, construction was always possibly, you know, if you didn't quite get the results you wanted, people threw you into construction. But I have, to, I mean, just, to, I mean, I'm interested in your point there, George, because for me... I think you've got the designers and engineers that 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 clean tech's going to interest, but but it's an and and we are still for now going to need those bricklayers and plasterers both for refurb and new build because to build three hundred thousand homes, which is government's target, we'll need MMC to grow, but we'll need the current system to stay and the transfer of skills. Yeah. So I think it's an exciting time. And I think sometimes people do actually enjoy being out in the rain and snow putting bricks together. Yeah, yeah I don't. Not no, so much, to nor be honest me. But I'll tell you what, they don't half earn that. They earn good money now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, we've talked about this in other podcasts where in some ways it's a period of transition. You yeah. know, you can't just, it's, it's not about, you know, completely revolutionizing everything in one day because you just can't do that you, you can't just stop the way that we've done things for many years and say right we're going to start doing it this way from tomorrow that's just impossible i mean in some ways it's about kind of innovation and invention you know ev everyone thinks invention kind of changes everything but sometimes invention only comes about because there's been lots of innovation to get there you know lots of things happening in the background and lots of people plugging away at lots of different things before there's a kind of eureka moment where you go, oh, hang on a minute, we might have just cracked this. But even when you've cracked a design challenge or a zero carbon challenge, even that has to be innovated and developed. Do you know what I mean? So it's, I'm, I've always got a problem when people say they've invented something because you go, actually, very that, it's very, very, very rare. very rare. Most of the times it's many different companies or many different individuals and now academic institutions, you know, universities and colleges might be doing R&D on something and it's it's constant innovation before there's even a hint of invention. Agreed. And I think it's evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, you know, that it's evolving the technology and that's what this, I mean, I think it's fair to say with Mitsubishi, it's evolved. So it, they, they, you know, acoustics was something that needed considering. It's now evolved into a much better system. Yeah, because everybody thought a unit outside your house was really noisy. They just did. Well, everyone, think, everyone thought th that, and now it's not. I think the manufacturers at the start, when we came up with a heat pumper, well, it came from the air conditioning model, which which wasn't really on residential properties in, in the UK, more com on a commercial roof, so noise wasn't a big problem. Uh, and most of that R&D went into the efficiency of the system, just trying to make the most efficient box that we could. Uh, and then fast learning that noise was going to be incredibly important. So the next age of that evolution was right. It's acoustic performance, um, you know, and then moving into this stage where it's controls, it's, it's, it's a demand side response. It's the smart home and, and how that, that, that heating system can interact with demand from the grid. So that's the next. And then of course, aesthetics is something that we'd have to consider as well, because it is essentially a, you know, a box outside the house and people want it to, to look at, at a certain type. Yeah, but I think that's that's interesting with all forms of renewable technologies, though. I think you know, the, the, there's areas where you can't add green kits onto your house because of planning restrictions. And, you know, you could argue that if someone does it insensitively, 
that's bad design as mm. far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I've seen solar panels being put on roofs where you think, hang on a second, that's that's awful. But then the industry have gone, well, hang on, how can we embrace that technology and integrate it into roof tiles? So the roof tile becomes the solar panel. Um, and it's the same with, with air source heat pumps. Yeah. You know, if, if that unit's not positioned in the right spot or it's not installed in a nice way, you know, it's not great for the look of a house, but when someone really considers it and thinks, well, hang on a minute, we could put it around the side or we could give it a different look, then that's all about good design. I mean, yeah. as architects and designers, that's what we've got to do. We've got to kind of design in that technology so it looks really, really good. Mitsubishi Electric's Ecodam air source heat pump switch from fossil fuels like oil, LPG and storage heaters to clean, renewable home heating. Visit ecodan.co.uk for more information. I just wanted to come back to a point you made earlier, Oliver, about the, we've been both, all of us been in construction quite a while the target of 300,000 homes. You know, every time someone says that, the government target is 300,000 homes. There's a little snigger that goes out because we never quite get there. On the point of view from, from a house builder, what do you think it is that, that holds it back from getting to that, that 300,000? Is there any? So um, post-war, yeah. we built 480,000 homes. That was back in the late 50s. A lot of them were rubbish though, Oliver. No, You've got to well, be careful about that. But, but the point was, yes. Do you know what but, I mean? No, but the point was, why were there, I mean, I was at the BRE and wrote the book on it. So the reason they were rubbish is because the controls weren't there. It's yeah. very different now, you know, between BBA and HBC accreditation and everything we've got. No, I get that. I think okay. my point was some of them were rushed. They were. And, and it was rushed I, really, really quickly. So then they, standards yeah, were compromised. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I mean? agree. But the point is, is we're talking 40 years ago, we still produced 480,000 homes. And we're asking for 300,000 from an industry that's a lot more mature. Yeah, no, I get that. So for me, um, part of getting to the 300,000 is the journey. I think it's what you said, George. It's the evolution of our industry mm -hmm. to take MMC on board and continue with traditional. And we need to consider um, being a little bit more managing our risk to allow those numbers to increase. So mm -hmm. that, you know, as you know, with Barrett, you know, our doors are open to innovation, but we have lots and lots of hoops you have to jump through. And that's just to make sure that exactly what you just said is when it's built, the customer, they're spending a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's got to be right. Know, my, my controversial view is I prefer we're built a little bit less better um, but that doesn't take the boxes of housing ministers who want to make grand announcements about we built lots of houses this year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, a, it's about what we build and where we build it as well. So, you know, th there's a whole discussion about that, about what you build in certain parts of the country compared to others. And I can sit here banging on about how fantastic modern methods of construction are in fact you build homes, but that takes a lot of investment, a massive amount of R&D. You, know, you, you are in effect coming up with a new form and a new way of building a house. And... Yeah, I'm involved in a company that does that as well. And and it's actually costing us a staggering amount of money to just get that shift in skills and retraining and getting people to think differently and bringing people in from other industries who aren't from a construction background to make us more factory people, if you like. But then at the same time, some of those people, you go, well, all right, you might know how to build a car or, a, I don't know, an aeroplane or, or do a bit of product design, but they don't know about the home building industry, which is very different where we've got to deal with planning and land and funding and mortgages. It's, it's, 
I mean, I, I'm bad at it. I sometimes try and compare the construction industry with the car building industry. And sometimes that's a mistake. You should just look at that on a very simple level of saying, well, it's a product built in a factory. But you could say the same about an iPhone or a, I don't know, a Dyson hairdryer. But a Dyson hairdryer doesn't need land. It doesn't need a 25-year mortgage. It's not probably the most expensive thing. It's probably the most expensive hairdryer you've ever bought in your life, <laughs> but not the most expensive thing. And you know, when it comes to, to homes, it's really complicated. Mm. You know, when it comes to insurances, planning, land, dealing with the planning system alone. When I say planning, I meant that in yeah, the broader yeah. sense of the word, but it's a very, very complicated, much more serious business than buying a car that you might just have for 10 years and sell on or a hairdryer you might only have for three and get rid of and replace with something else. Mm. We need traditional forms of construction. There are parts of the country where traditional building is without a doubt the right thing to do where you've got those right skills and planning is kind of asking for a more conventional traditional form of construction whereas in other parts of the country you go hang on a minute there's a chance here where we could do things differently you know where, where there's an industry background and a manufacturing background and that's where the skills are it's, it's a good point and we've talked about this quite a bit um over over the, over the time working together but what do you think uh, oliver that that's missing that uh, mechanisms or or support from the government that's missing that would help us on this road to net zero? That's a big question. <laughs> just, just before you go there, I, I've got to pick one thing. I think, I, I think you're dead. Sorry, I, no I, I, I feel kill me not to say it. So I think you're right, George. I, I think the thing about MMC, it just needed its time. So I built 25 years ago an MMC factory that was nigh on 20 million pounds that was building a house every half an hour. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That today is, is at its prime and is delivering houses. And what I've seen from other house builders now, including Barrett is we've all, a number of us have invested in timber frame companies. So I think, I think the time has come where MMC is a viable option. It's not, that's why I said, and, and I, I don't do the, it's either one or the other. Yeah, it is not. 100%. It is and, and. 100%. Yeah. And at some point, MMC will become maybe the predominant one. But as it stands, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We need houses for our customers and for our people. And you've just gone through a period of COVID where house building has con and house purchasing has continued. And that only means there is a lack of housing. And so we've got to deliver the numbers for, for people to have their own homes or rent, whichever way yeah. we go. Yeah. So I think for me, um, around that whole, you know, MMC, you know, I, I think the time has come, you know, and, and George, what you're saying, because you're right, the planning and warranty, but I think we've learned over the last 25 years on how to manage that. I think mortgage lenders are more viable looking at MMC. I think there's lots going for MMC. I think the one point I would make with MMC, we, we've spent um, the last well, numerous years getting MMC off. The thing that makes it work for us is is picking the not only the right location, as in the area of the country, but actually the right location regarding MMC. If you've got a fast selling site, it helps because MMC is fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, you are you are you've, and and the whole benefit of MMC is that you can build them fast to a high quality. So I think quality shouldn't be discussed, whether it's traditional or no, it's, MMC. It's universal. It that, should and, just and be high quality, yeah, shouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I, I shouldn't say I don't care about how a house is built, because of course I do. But for me, if, I, if there's a house that's traditionally built with traditional trades, 
fantastic. As long as it's really, really good and the standards are really high and it's well designed and it's well built. I think it's important. I don't know if uh, Sorry, many, I many took of you our, off your track then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> many many of our yeah. listeners might know might know not know what MMC is. So if you could elaborate on what you... Well, would. it's modern methods of construction. Uh, I mean, it's, the, the phrase has now been changed a little bit where we'll say design for manufacture rather than for construction. But, you know, I, I, Oliver's right. If we start kind of saying, you know, modern methods of construction in a factory-built house or a panelized system house is really innovative, but a traditional conventional house isn't, I think that's too polarized. I, I see a lot of innovation in traditional forms of construction. Um so for me, both should be happening, and all of us on the same page. It's about creating the best quality housing we can of the most appropriate style in the right areas, using the right skills yeah. to be able to build that house. So whether it's traditional or modern methods of construction, I don't think it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because we need both. I mean, one thing I wanted to touch on a bit, and it's it's slightly away from from Barrett's, but I know that Oliver would be passionate about it as well, is um, the self-build. Yeah. And I, and I do think that we, you know, we've talked a little bit about social housing. We've got some great social housing providers who are taking a fantastic long-term approach. You've got some of the big house builders who are who are innovating with modern methods of construction and building and investing in factories to do houses in a more modern way while still doing their more traditional conventional house types. All of that's absolutely fine. For me, I think we need to be pushing self-build as a country more, a lot more, because self-builders will go that extra step further to spend some extra pennies to get a much, not a much higher quality product, but they might, they might go beyond the building regs, for example. They might raise the bar to a different level because they're building a house for them. That'll last hopefully 15, 20, 25 years. And I do, one of, my, one of the things in this country, even though we've got about 15,000 self-builders per year, now that's, that's actually quite a lot. I mean, if you think Barrett's are doing 18,000 houses a year, you could say collectively all the self-builders are one of the biggest house builders in the UK. But we should probably be doing a lot more. And I think that comes to kind of availability of land and people being given the opportunity to build their houses. And I think then there'll, there'll be an even bigger shift. So that's when Oliver's saying, and, and, that. It's not one or the other. It's let's do that, let's do that, let's do that. I do think self-build's a big issue in the UK. I, I guess that's the, that's the road to net zero. There isn't one silver bullet that you no. put into place. You know, you have to have these different uh, strategies to to, to, to to reach that goal. As long as they're all about building to the highest quality, yeah. and adopting renewable green forms of technology mm -hmm. to make those houses as zero carbon as possible. It, it doesn't matter who's doing it or where they're doing it or how they're doing it. It's just that that becomes a norm, doesn't it? There isn't there isn't a new adaptation that green just becomes a norm yeah. and that's just how we do it. But we're getting there. Mm -hmm. So the, the conversations that me and Oliver would have had, you know, 25 years ago, mm. I mean, we were like kind of hippies, if you like, of the construction <laughs> industry. Trailblazers. No. We kind of were, you know, we we yeah, yeah. go on. We did, I remember. We we met at the BRE you you did, know, a yeah, long time yeah. ago. And and you know, we'd be banging the drum for for the same thing. And people would look at us as if we we're a bit weird sometimes. And and now everybody wants to do it. I mean, Oliver's even said you've got, you know, the city, the, the financial centers are saying, hang on a minute, we now need to be funding green projects. I mean, we weren't having that conversation no. with the banks mm -hmm. 20 odd years ago. You just weren't. You might have to go to a very unusual discrete lender somewhere who would be talking about kind of green mortgages and green lending so from that point of view it, it's it's quite staggering the amount of change that's happened in the industry definitely in the last 10 years we might still have a long way to go we all know that but that's all part of evolution and innovation rather than invention i mean but, if you, th you think about ecodan sorry oliver you th no, no. like you, you look at 
at the way that your consumers and the homeowners can can engage with the product and with the technology and you know remotely tap into information you know through the people that you've got working at Mitsubishi to to problem solve well that's because of amazing wi-fi technology and, and the internet i mean my my wi-fi was really clunky a few years ago you know what i mean and it's taken all of that to step up and change where collectively lots of things have happened at the same time for us to see if we can do things differently now and that's really exciting i think mm. i mean i think there's a couple of points that you bring out george i'd have to say you know i think the self-build market is great because that's customers choosing and we do a lot of research with our customers and it's interesting that customers and and what's benefited M- mmc is guys like you and others on the TV where self-build use MMC. So when people get to choose, they choose a lot of MMC, don't they? Because like you said, of, of, they have more knowledge. They're more informed of the systems that so they're So it's the choosing. educated consumer now. Yeah, well, they go to the shows. Yeah. You know, they, it's like, yeah. when, you know, they go to the shows. It's like, you know, when you've, if you get into a big fashion, like I'm just into triathlons, you go to the show. And you look around and you do research, especially with the YouTube now. You, you've got no excuses. So mm. I think we look at self-build and our customer research because they inform the decisions we make. I mean, we, you know, we, we build lots of houses. We make some of those decisions for our customers because we think it helps them. But we still have to look. I mean, the classic would be now that whole kitchen diner move or even more importantly with COVID, offices yeah, in yeah. homes. Yeah, working at home. Yeah, yeah so, there's a, so there's a big step. Uh, yeah. change. I mean, the reason why I mentioned that because you were saying, what can the government do? And I think the government are, are bringing in lots of support for us to to get the net zero carbon by 2050. But I mentioned self-build because I think that's a great opportunity for the industry generally. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to countries like New Zealand, it's it's kind of normal for people to build their own house. Mm-hmm. You know, the number of self-builders they have is quite amazing, really. And there's there's companies out there who will buy the land get the planning generally for, uh, if you like, design codes for a number of different house types. Is that because planning's easier over there? And is, is that one of the things that we well, could work it's, on? It's, uh, planning's not easier. Uh, it, it's it, it's just a different approach. It's a different way of doing things mm-hmm. where, and they don't do this everywhere. You know, there's, there's big house builders in, in New Zealand who, who build lots of houses and sell them, just like our house builders do here. But you do have more um, developers in inverted commas that just sell off plots so they will put in the infrastructure and the roads and the water and everything else but you basically buy a plot and it's expected that you'll build that house now you've got to comply with standards of quality and some of the parameters that they've got within within the the, the planning documents if you like so you can't just go and build a four-story house on one site and a bungalow on the next one it will say for that plot it needs this is the footprint and this is the rough scale but after that you can kind of do what you like the good thing about that is people are, as I said, going to a higher level, if you like, hopefully, if they're good enough, going to a higher level in terms of the spec of that building because it's their home for many, many, many years and they're not building it to sell, they're building it for them. Um, they'll then overspec the insulation. They'll then start looking at technologies that… The, fu- you know, the future-proofing. The future-proofing, but they I mean, all of us kind of talked about it uh, where… They are putting their time and their effort and their money into building the house. They're responsible for doing it and they don't want to mess it up. And so they research, 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 research and become a very well-informed self-builder. So they're not just a consumer. You know, if, if I was going to buy a house from Barrett's, I expect Barrett's to do all of that work for mm. me and all that specification work and take off all that work. That's what we're paying for, isn't it? That's what we're paying for. And you just want to, and some people just want to buy a finished product and rightly so. 
But I do think it's interesting with the self-builder that they, they become more informed, they push themselves on and tend to, not always, but tend to push the specification way beyond the building regs, way beyond. So instead of just putting an amount of insulation they need to tick a box with building regs, they'll say, well, actually, you know what? We'll spend a bit more money and put three times the amount in, but that means we've got to build a house in a slightly different way. But I'd, I'd love to do that because it's going to save me loads of money for the next 20 years on my on my running costs. So I think that's a great opportunity. I mean, it's, it's ironic that we've got probably the lowest number of self-builders, you know, per head in the developed world. But all of my programs, all of Kevin McLeod's programs, nearly every show that we put out are self-builders. That's what they are. We, we export these programs all over the world to push self-building, but we've still got a very low number when you look at our population compared to what we should have. And I, I just threw that in because when you said, what should the government be doing? I think they're doing lots of great things, but they could do even more to promote self-building here. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. I, I've got to ask, right? So all those people that are making those choices. So when we do our customer research and we ask them about what's important, I'm going to be really boring now, but I'm going to tell you that location, amount of bedrooms, how good the kitchen looks. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Right. And they have a budget. Most, and you'll correct me here, George, but most of the self-build guys that I did, when I started my career, I did self-build in Cornwall. Most of the guys you work with, or most of the programs I look, they always go over budget, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't, do you know why the question is, why is it when they're making their own choices, they'll go over budget? But with us, <laughs> with us, they, they'll like, no, no, if I've got that budget, I, I might want to move. I, I think that's going to change, you know, but they won't always move it to green or rarely green. They'll move it to tiles and taps and other things. And I, isn't it interesting, that dynamic that when they're with you, they will go over budget and they will think, yeah, are you, this are you is... blaming me for no, them going over budget? Yeah, is that definitely you. <laughs> but, but when they are, you, you know, no, it's nothing to do with you. They're making their own choices. You have no, no influence no, on that. So it's interesting that when they're making their own choices and they've got that knowledge, they will spend substantially more on their home. Yeah, I mean, there's loads of different reasons for that. Uh, and some might even over-specify over in some areas. And, and some might just waste money, to be honest. They might spend mm. extra money on things that you maybe don't necessarily need to. I think the good self-builder, because there are bad self-builders as yeah. well. I mean, let's be honest, you know, it's, it's just human nature. I think the good self-builder will get the balance right. You know, they don't necessarily over-specify the kitchen too much. They might not over-specify the bathrooms too much. They want a good quality because they don't want to replace it in so many years. But I am noticing people, certainly in the last 10 years, who are making greener choices yeah. to make the house not just green for the environment, but more comfortable for them and saving on their energy bills. So there's a bit of that going on. But you're dead right. There are some who'll go, oh, I'm not bothered about loads of insulation. I just want a better kitchen. But the good, so, and a, a bit of me said about the self-build market is, I, so I'm, we are now starting to see that move. So especially with these hikes in the energy bills, you're starting to see people thinking about the energy efficiency. So forget about, the, the city or Barrett and all our drivers, actually the customer is now thinking about that bill. Government, yes. let me answer that yes. question for you. George took us off, not me. So with government. Hang on, you <laughs> changed the subject. You just said before I answer that and you went on a different Give route. Yourself so, time. So, yeah, so government, let me talk about government. So, um, so, so I would have said that government back in the Code for Sustainable Homes days, which was what, 2014, 2015 or whatever, 
government were pulling us as industry. It was pull, pull, pull. Come on, this we're setting the standard. Yeah. Now, as I talked about, because of city drivers from house builders, all of the stakeholders towards sustainability, you guys, everybody, um, government are part of the journey. We're, we're all, we are on that journey with or without them. <laughs> now, they're regulating, which is important because we have to have a minimum bar. And that, because the one, worst thing I'm always nervous about is we have a bad project where someone who doesn't care about how things get put in, puts renewable technologies, it doesn't go right, and it ends up in the wrong place. And then people don't want it. So I think we've got to have a minimum. But I think, so government have to set that. But actually, I think where government play an important role for us is in numerous areas. But one, I think through Homes England and others, they're doing some great innovative projects allowing us to do R&D to support the industry. And it's important. I think one of the things we, I sometimes think of Barrett's, and you know we are part of the R&D program because we have the size that we can have people like myself and Dan and others that can do this kind of work. But when we're doing it with you, you will take that knowledge and you'll send it to the self-builders and the smaller house builders because you've done it with us. You've built the nanny. You've learned with us what it's like because you're, you're an air source heat pump company. I'm a developer. We've got to learn about each other. So I think that's one. So enable innovation and R&D. That, that's one and really. Collaboration. Collaboration yeah. and all of that. But set the flagship projects, not regulate it. I think they'll do that, but that's not the big driver. It's set the journey that we want to go on. The second one you touched on. So I wonder how complicated our planning and other aspects are compared to other countries where we do see that drive through. And I, I, I don't, I, I actually... You know, personally, I'm really proud of our planning because I go, I drive around our country and look at our cities and towns, and in many instances, it's worked really well. George, I'm an engineer; you're the architect <laughs> here, so save me from. But that, I honestly drive just personally. I drive around. I think you know, yes, it's important. You know, we are, you know, the old English village and all that. That's important. But there's definitely lots of stages and pro. We do like our documentation. We do like yeah. our process. I mean, we've. You know, you, you could say half of the things that we've developed here have been taken to other countries and they're used as planning in other countries because they recognize that we have systems that are good. I think we've got to work out government not to water them down, but think about how we can still get the same answer with a more efficient process. I don't know what you think, George. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's more your area I, I, than I don't mine. want to make it a planning podcast because we'll be here for weeks, but because it's meant to be about zero carbon home. I think, you know, we didn't really have any planning before in the late 1940s and actually we built lots of very beautiful things and beautiful towns and beautiful cities and beautiful house types you can look at victorian houses edwardian houses georgian houses and we did all of that without planning and that's because reputation was everything mm -hmm. if you were a developer or house builder back in the georgian period and if you built terrible stuff your reputation was absolutely tarnished you were you were nudged out of society you weren't allowed back at court it was at that level or you were a significant landowner and mm -hmm. your reputation was put at risk and i think since we've had planning you could argue that the, pen, the pendulum's kind of swung the other way that sometimes we've got too much red tape and too much bureaucracy and things take too long do you think that links back to what oliver was, was saying about about the standards and, and okay have some regulation but i think now what you've got is for any business 
You're so open to people giving you an opinion on your business through Trustpilot, Facebook, Instagram. You, you, you've got well, it there. So well, we've also you, got, we've got public consultation through planning as well, which yeah. is which is important. You know, people mm. need to have a voice about what's being built in their local area. There's not there's absolutely no doubt about that. Sometimes I wonder whether planning gets bogged down in the level of detail of things it shouldn't really get involved in, where a planner's time has taken ages about whether an extension's half a foot that way or half a foot that way, and at the same time they're the planner for a major residential development around the corner. And you think, hang on a minute, the, the scale's quite extreme. If we set up some universal rules that everybody believes in about being green and green spaces and green technology and zero carbon homes, then really we should be kind of, it's, it's a bit like setting a pattern book for self-builders. You set a certain standard at a certain level and then say, do you know what, as long as you comply with all of that stuff, just get on with it and do it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, definitely. I, well, it, it, and it's a different world now. You, I mean... Well, you, you, you just don't get away with not building a great place. You yeah. want to sell it and people live in it. I mean, we've been through that in the 60s, 70s and 80s as an industry and we've learned our lessons. But I'm with you, you know, I think it should be on reputation. And, it, and, and as I said, I think we can get the same outcome, but I'm going to move off planning because, like I said, I'm an engineer and I'm very dead George that, way. Let me touch on, on planning, though, I think we, we talk about a zero-carbon home and we make it sound like it's this product, it's this kind of, box with a roof on it and with windows and a door but I think where that sits is really important about the green agenda as well so you know how are we building roads how are we building footpaths how are we planting trees you know how are we going to get water there how do we get waste away where do you put the bins you know like wheelie bins look like the bane of a planner's life sometimes because they're just everywhere you know and so for me it's kind of holistic thinking not just about the house being zero carbon it's about the estate it sits on you know and and, and everything working together to create a green sustainable environment but well, if you look at uh, if you look abroad and look at how they're cha tackling zero carbon so you look at uh, denmark you know really leading or sweden they do a lot of district solutions on low rise where it's you know the energy's you know in some ways is, is, is just a different approach yeah and yet like you said they, they think about a holistic and you're right, because interesting, we've, we're having numerous conversations and, you know, because your house, I mean, the Z house is um, it's 127% of RL. So it means that four to five days of the week, that house produces its own energy. But the reality of it is you're not going to need it. So you need to be able to sell it in, in, in its simplest form to someone else on the site who needs it. Yeah. So we're going to have to have this interaction. Trading. Yeah. Energy trading, yeah. Yeah, so trading of energy and, and support so that we're not reliant on the major producers of energy because like wind turbines and things like that, there's a, there's a sort of yeah, yeah. integration of all of this. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, we've called it zero carbon home today, but if, it should be more like zero carbon living because it's about how you live in that house and how you live on that estate and what you drive and whether you take the bus and whether the, the bus is green or not and how far people have to walk and what you're buying from the local shops, you know, what are they selling, you know, it, I, the I, local pub, where's it getting its beer from? And has that been delivered by, you know, fossil fuel, guzzling lorries? It's, I mean, I know it sounds a bit bonkers making it that big, but it should be about zero carbon living, not just about the house itself. It's everything that we've always talked about. It's really simple, you know, and that energy trading will be simple. It'll be an app. It'll be a lot of that pre-think will be done for a homeowner. They won't have to be engaged in complex processes, a lot of those decisions will be made by AI intelligence and, and, and it will be done, you know. 
Yeah, and I keep using the same phrase on a number of podcasts. That's why we're in a period of really exciting transition. Mm. You know, but, but, but there's no doubt about it, whether it's government or whether it's industry or whether it's the banks or whatever, the city, it's all moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. We've just got to collaborate and make sure we get there. I think this, you, you raised, for me, what the Z House probably brought out as one key challenge. So when we sell our houses to... Well, eighteen thousand houses a year. You, you know, I sell them to you know singles, all the way through to professionals, all the way up to seventy, eighty year olds. And when you throw this technology in the home, you've got to make it simple because mm. they they've got varying levels of interaction. I keep coining a phrase, which is, we need the remote control for a house because I that isn't out there. I don't think so. Each of the technologies we've put in has its own app. Yep. Yeah. But hey, they don't talk to each other. Now, I get annoyed with the 10 apps I've got on my iPhone, yeah, because just order food, yeah? I just want one. I just <laughs> yeah. want to, yeah? I mean, so, smart technology is great as long as it's not too smart and too it, complicated. So, so for me, you know, we're, we're now looking at some of the new next challenge of houses that we're going to do. And I'll be honest, this is what I've set Salford University and others, you know, the, the, the smart technology guys is, got to be able to talk to each other because i literally want a remote control one app where someone says oh isn't it interesting i've produced x amount of energy and um you know octopus are the partner on the z house they've sold it for this month and actually this today i haven't spent any money on energy whatever just oh and i've taken the energy out of my car because as you know in the z house we've got this vehicle to grid Take the I've used the battery in my car to save some energy when it was expensive, so I've now sold it back to the grid so I can use it in the washing machine. But it's simply told to me on something, and that yeah. like, and that isn't. I don't think that's there, from, or, from, or from, if it is, that's my challenge. From, Where is yeah. it? Yeah, from my perspective, I think if we went back five or ten years, it it definitely wasn't there, and companies did not want to collaborate or share each other's APIs and things like that. But what I have noticed over the, far, the past five years is. Uh, companies being much more open to collaboration we all realize that we're not the silver bullet and maybe there is a, a race out there for someone to take the most dominant uh position in that control of the house and that's that's certainly out there but there's a definite at, uh, appetite for that collaboration and sharing our, our our pacific skill sets and our pacific technologies because we know that is if there was one silver silver bullet that would be it is mm. the, the control of the whole house so, yeah yeah, it's the Betamax VHS discussion, yes. isn't it? Yeah. It's that classic. Can, yeah. yeah. So I think um, that's great to hear because, you know, I, I was talking to my son. He's, he's just turning 16, much cleverer than I am about smart technology. And he was talking about open sourcing. So mm -hmm. this is where you share whatever knowledge you have. And he, he was telling me a story that one of the game manufacturers open sourced their technology and their technology is now used in surgery. Yeah. You know, because... Because they said, you know what, have it. Because actually the way I stay at the front is because I keep innovating, mm. keep evolving. Yeah? I don't stay at the front because I hide it and yeah, I don't yeah. want anyone to have it. And that's what they did. And that gaming company, and now all of them have said, you know what, open source all we have. Because actually, cause actually now what they're saying is from that work that was done over there in healthcare, it's now fed back into the gaming world and they've developed better software because of it. So it, it, I think... Yeah, you know, I, I think we're in a world where this whole, you know, innovation will be sharing. It will be working together, um, and that stands for us guys. You yeah. know, yeah. you know, we've got to work together and understand each other's challenges. 
So Oliver, um, looking forward a couple of years, we have 2025, you have the, the future home standard. You know, What impact do you think that is going to have on, on, on your day-to-day -day business and, and, and how you do things? Yeah, so let, let me start by humanizing it. So mm -hmm. we're going to move away from gas to electric. Yeah. So I'll humanize it by saying we're going to use, all our cooking will be done by electricity. And there are people out there that have always cooked on a gas ring. Mm -hmm. But actually... The advancement of electric cooking, for example, so that so there's, there's going to be a step change because we're going to move away from gas. Now, the way it affects us, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you, you know, is we will move to technologies like air source heat pumps to de deliver our energy and our heating, hot water um, and heating. So, so probably the big step change we're going to see is that technology bringing in. So for future homes, which is air source heat pumps. So we will see every home with an air source heat pump type technology to deliver. Um, the heat. So is it going to be the end of the gas cooker? Is that well, it? it will, yeah. It will That's be. it. Yeah, because you can't. That's it, 2025. No, there will not no, be a gas, gas connection to your house. In the new build. In the in new, build, new yeah. build. Yeah. So, and then I think the other things that uh, the 2025 regulation is bringing in, which is, is really, I think, good to see is that, you know, it will, it will drive the fabric further. So, I mean, we as a company believe in fabric first, and we've coined this thing of fit and forget. Because if you do a great insulation in a in the house, and you talked about the self build, the reason they put loads of insulation is because they've calculated that firstly it's a no maintenance, and secondly it affects their bills. Mm. So that that 2025 will drive there. Now it will introduce some challenges. Mm -hmm. So. I think we'll have very airtight buildings, so we're going to have to think about ventilation. I think we're going to have to think about overheating because we're, we're pretty much putting a very, very warm North Face coat on our homes. And so we've got to think about the environment in the home, and we're doing, that's part of what we've done at the Z House. We've thought about ventilation. We've thought about overheating. And actually, those have both been introduced and looked at within the regulations. Mm -hmm. I think those ventilation's have... moved on without getting too techy about it. It's really moved on, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. back in the day... I remember there just used to be little slots in your wall, trickle and air vents. bricks and trickle vents. And, you know, my granddad would go around and tape them all up because he was like, you know what, I'm spending all this money heating my house, which is what I'm meant to be doing. And then they tell me I've got to have these slots in my wall, which is letting all the heat out. And I was like, no, granddad, it's about like natural airflow and ventilating the house away from smells. He's like, oh, forget about that. I'm taping them up. And he did. <laughs> But luckily, we do it in a more intelligent way these days. And luckily, when your granddad's house was probably a bit more less airtight than these ones. A lot be. less airtight. Whereas these ones, if you did that. So part of the conversation I had with the window guys is, why do we let people close trickle vents? Because they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, so but, there are, but there are also ways that you can ventilate the space and maybe yep. take some of the heat out of that air. Yep and then reuse it and then recirculate better air into the space. But even that's something that we've got to get our head around because, mm -hmm. you know, we are, we've got into a habit in this country of heating our houses and they get too hot and we open the windows. Yes, yes. The, the debate in every house in the UK, I think. Yeah. And yeah. then the other thing probably worth noting on 2025 is that there is this move towards uh, the house that you built delivering as built. Mm -hmm. So what you've designed it to do, it actually delivers. Taking account that people use homes differently, but that actually, similar to the miles per gallon, the house is a miles per gallon scenario. And that hasn't been refined yet. The, this initial regulation is requiring us to do pictures to prove that we've followed the details. But in the future, they are looking at, is there a way with the smart technology of testing a house to say, yeah, it's within 
a certain percentage. So yeah, it's 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 passed. And if it hasn't, how what is there that needs fixing or repairing so that it can do that? Yeah. So that's and probably that, that not also a big ties step. in with some of the building safety legislation coming in as well. So you know, if something's specified in a certain way, let's make sure it's absolutely built in that way as well. So there you have it, the Zero Carbon Home. I want to say huge thanks to my guests, uh, George and Oliver. Thanks for your your interesting debate and conversation today. Thank you for listening and please share, subscribe, rate and review the Ecodan Serious About Sustainability podcasts. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 